Happy Palm Sunday to you. Uh, it's a really exciting day in the life of the church, and not just here at Current, the Capital C Church, as we just remember what Jesus did for us, and we just kind of enter into that space. And with that in mind, what I thought we'd do today is, is uh, have the message be a little bit different uh, in light of that. So today's going to be a little bit more reflective in nature kind of hopefully preparing our hearts as we uh, enter into uh, Holy Week together as, as a church. So I want to take a more reflective approach. Uh, it seems to me that it is really easy uh, for us to come to God with a what's in it for me mindset. Now, we might not think about it in such terms, but really it's, it's quite easy to come to God with a how am I going to get blessed or how is this going to encourage me or, or help me or whatever. Um, whether you're looking in on the faith from the outside trying to figure things out or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, it's really easy to approach God with a what's in it for me type mindset. It's also really easy to approach God with a here's what I'm doing for you mindset, right? God, I just want you to tell me what to do so I can go do it and I'll go do it. But you see, the theme of either of these approaches to God is when it comes to a relationship with him, we're at the center, right? And I don't want to suggest that these approaches or these mindsets are in and of themselves bad, right? I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about how God blesses us, and, and very richly so. And the Bible has a lot to say about how God calls us to do his will. But if it's the only way we approach him, uh, oh, we're missing out. Because just like any relationship, our relationship with God ought to be a two-way street. And so today what I want to do is we enter into this holy week, we call it, uh, the Passion Week of Christ. So he went to the cross for our sins, for your sins and mine, and ultimately culminating in the, in the resurrection, the gift of Easter that we're going to celebrate next week. I want to prepare our hearts doing something the theologians have talked about for centuries, this, this ancient practice called com uh, companioning with Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? I hadn't until more recently. But what I want to do today is, is consider what it means to companion with Jesus. Because the idea here is God very clearly wants to companion with you, with me. But he also wants us to companion with him. And in the text we're going to read here in a moment, you, you see that. It's a unique glimpse into God giving this invitation to meet him in his space and what he's thinking, what he's feeling for him and for what he's doing, what he accomplished. Okay, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to consider what it means to companion with Jesus, and we're going to be looking at uh, the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is the account of right, right, basically the eve before the crucifixion. Uh, Mark tells us in his gospel, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? This is God's word for us this morning. Uh, clearly, Jesus knew he was on the precipice of sorts here, right? You, you don't just hear it in his actual literal words, but you, you hear it in the, the feeling behind the words. He's saying some very strong emotive things here that just come out. 
Uh, he's on the eve of the cross. He's, he's literally moments away from being betrayed by Judas and events are kind of pushed into motion where he would ultimately be crucified the next day. Uh, what we see here is Jesus knows suffering, okay? Jesus really understands deeply suffering. Uh, one of the questions I'll often get as a pastor is, if there's a God and he's good, how could there be suffering in the world? And it's a good question. It's a fair question. Uh, this text, while it doesn't you know, seek to answer it specifically, that question, it does give us some insight into that. Because what we see here is Jesus, the Son of God, not just experiencing suffering, but entering into it in a very uh, intense way. So much so that he says in verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever experienced something so uh, something that filled you so much with anguish on the inside that you were feeling it on the outside? You know what I mean? Like you, you had something like you were wrestling with so internally that it was affecting you externally. Uh, Jesus was really feeling it here. And you know what's interesting actually to point out is what Bible scholars and really historians have, have noticed here is that Jesus faced his death in not the most poised of ways. I mean, think about that. Uh, what historians will, will point out is that a lot of Jesus' followers, indeed in the next you know, few hundred years, even extending, by the way, to today, who would be martyred for their faith in Christ, would face death, their death, with a little bit more poise. And by the way, in some, in some senses, facing more scary physical deaths. Now, I understand crucifixion is way up there, okay? But we're talking like being burned at the stake, that sort of thing. And as they are getting ready to be burned at the stake, saying things like, if this is God's will for me, so be it. And yet here in the garden, Jesus is like, it's, it's almost as if he's like quaking in his shoes. Like, what's, what's going on there? Another quick little incidental here, which I think is worth considering, is that, look, if this didn't really happen, it probably wouldn't be in the scriptures. Okay, there's some in, internal evidence for the authentic, authenticity of the scriptures here. What, what do I mean? If this is how you're going to portray as an early church, making up stories about your king, your savior, you would probably not opt to reflect him in this light probably would have said something and, okay, all right, now I'll be triumphant and put a halo behind him in your words, right? But Jesus is portrayed here of like really kind of wrestling to the point of just like, I mean, one account says he was like sweating so much his blood was coming out of his, he was just feeling it so much. So what was going on here? Why, why was this happening the way it was? Uh, a simple answer to this must at least mean that Jesus wasn't just facing his own physical death. So if you're here last week, we talked about, uh, we referenced Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said about himself, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. I mean, that was basically Jesus' description of his objective, of, of, his, of his purpose. He was saying he was going to give his life as a ransom. Now, look, the prophet uh, Isaiah, speaking over 600 years before Jesus ever came onto the scene, said this of Jesus, that he would be pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. That's what Jesus was facing. That's what he was, he was staring at. That's why he said, Abba, Father, in verse 36, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That imagery of the cup shows up in other places of the Old Testament scriptures. And very often it is used to describe uh, divine wrath for sin. 
So God's righteous judgment for sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that means not just physical death. It actually more to the point means spiritual death or more specifically separation from God. Sin is basically, I was was sharing at a wedding yesterday, not just rejecting God's ways, but rejecting him, who he's created us to be. And as a result, that sin has created the world that we're in. So it's affected and marred, corrupted relationships, uh, work. I mean, you just name it all across the board. And so when we ask, how could a good God allow suffering? In part, the answer to that is, well, it's because of our sin. It's because of what we have wrought. And God in his goodness isn't just bringing down his divine judgment all at once in a sweeping way because none would stand after that. The gospel is Jesus drank of the cup of the punishment that we deserve. I mean, you know, think of it this way. Romans 8 talks about how everybody's groaning. And not just groaning, but people are just groaning. The, the earth is literally groaning in the sense of like in, in this pain of all the sin and destruction that's out in the world. And Jesus came to deal with all of that on the cross. Deal with the heart of it, which is our sin, to offer forgiveness that when we put our faith in him, we can have life forever in him. That's what he was facing when he looked at the cross in the garden there. Uh, Not just suffering, but suffering in its infinitely worse form that we could ever experience. He was looking at that. Jesus understands suffering, but not just the severity of it. Jesus understands uh, that in suffering, he understands the temptation to give up in the face of it, to, to not go forward. Uh, that was really the struggle that night, seems to me, in the garden. Uh, it, seem, it seems to me that eternal life was, was won that night in the garden. Now, it was accomplished on the cross, so don't, don't hear me wrong here, but I think it was won in that garden on that night as our Lord and Savior resolutely uh, resolved himself to go to the cross. And he was tempted to not go forward. That's why he said, everything is possible for you, Father, Take this cup from me. Meaning, hey, is there another way? Think of it this way. And Jesus, the Son of God, with that prayer being asked, heard that the answer was no. There is no other way. It's the only way to save those we love. It was for you to go to the cross. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In the face of that temptation of giving up Jesus, moving forward resolutely. Jesus knows suffering not only in its severity, not only in the temptation of, of in the face of it to give up, he also understands suffering through obedience. Uh, this is an interesting thought. Uh, why did Jesus ultimately go to the cross? We see in the garden it was ultimately for reason of him following God's will for his life. Uh, any of you Christian brothers or sisters ever experienced suffering because you chose to follow God's will or what you thought to be in your life? Anybody relate with that? If, if that's you you'd be in pretty good company. Have any of you in the midst of suffering been tempted to give up, not go forward in whatever way, form, or fashion? Have you ever experienced that? You'd be in good company. Now look, if the Lord in his spirit wants to speak to you, comfort you, encourage you in the midst of where you are right now, if that's you, that's wonderful and good. Receive that from the Lord. But I just want to say that's not today's message. Today's message is not, okay, gird yourself up. You can get through the temptation with his help. Even if you can't, there's grace. That's true. That's good. And today's message is not, hey, even if you can't understand or that you're hearing an answer is no. His plan for you is good. That's true. That's good. But 
And if, that, if that's what the Holy Spirit's saying to you today, receive that. But that's not today's message either. Today's message is Jesus invites you and me into companioning with him in his suffering. Uh, we see that in this text because he says in verse 34 again, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to the disciples, stay here and keep watch. And in Matthew's account, he has the words, with me. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus could have had angels with him there in the garden. He could have had anything and anyone come and attend to his needs. And what was his desire in that moment? By the way, that holiest of holy moments where he was at his point of need, his desire is that his followers would companion with him through the midst of it. That they would sit in it, that they would be there with him in, in, in the midst of it. Now, we may be thinking at this point, maybe this is you, it's like, David, that's nice, but wasn't that just then, and wasn't that just with those disciples? Uh, yes and no. Uh, listen to Philippians 3.10, when the apostle Paul wrote, saying, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation. That word participation can also be translated into our English as fellowship. I want to know the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Uh, Jesus invites us to companion with him today in his suffering. I think there's two implications of that. When we enter into the suffering, there's two implications of that. Number one, it helps us draw to love him more. When we, when we sit in his suffering and his, his heart for the world in its suffering, it draws us to love him more. Now, a very good practice, and if you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you've been doing this every year that you've, been, you've put your faith in Jesus on Good Friday especially, or at least leading up to Good Friday, which is, of course, the day we remember Jesus crucified on the cross, a good practice is to remember that it's our sin, like my sin, your sin, that pegged him to that tree. And that'll humble us. That'll fill our hearts with, hopefully, humility and gratitude for who he is and what he's done, not just for others, but for me. But here's another little thought exercise, or maybe better put, heart exercise to consider. Imagine if knowing what you know now, you were plucked up today and plopped there in the garden that day, that night with Jesus in his one hour of need. And he's facing, he literally has the world on his shoulders, right? On his heart. And he said to you, stay here and remain with me. Like, well, what would that stir within you? How could that not draw us to love him more? I mean, I don't know about you. My first thought when I was considering this week in my study was like, but who am I? I'm nobody except for God's desire to be with. And that's true of you. That's an incredible thought. But that's God's desire. Not just to companion with you, by the way, in your suffering, but for you to companion with him, for you to sit with him. And that'll draw you to love him more. Secondly, companion with Jesus in this way draws us to love more like he loves as we sit in his suffering, if we think about what his suffering meant, it expands our love for others as well. Are any of you grieving these days? I'll tell you, one of the things I try to do often is read the uh, news. And man, my heart, as I'm sure with, with many of yours, is just really thinking about Ukraine right now and all that's going on there. And we just get the smallest of glimpses of what's going on, right? That's from the news. That's also from our partners who are there. And, and don't even get into recounting all of it. It's like, it's, it's a lot, okay? And we're doing our best as a church to, you know, send support, do all that stuff, and join others, they do all that. 
But part of what we do as Christians is when we grieve, we're essentially, in some small, small way, okay? When we grieve, we're essentially suffering with, we're companioning with, we're suffering with those who are suffering, okay? So think about that in a closer terms when somebody you love is suffering, okay? When you, when you sit in that with them, when you suffer with them, you're suffering with them, you're, you're in that with them. But there's only so much we can do, right? And that's with the very little we can see, knowing that there's so much more out there. But when we companion with Jesus in his suffering for the world, we actually join him in his perfect loving care and suffering for the world. Does that make sense? As he has in his heart, not just a war in Eastern Europe right now in this time and space, but also extending throughout really all time, but even to us here today in our own personal hurts and hardship. He meets us there, and when we enter into that space, we can companion with him as he holds that in his heart, drawing from that and having compassion for others as well. So what does this look like, okay? Uh, I understand that today's thought is a little bit more meta, but it's kind of an interesting thought to reflect on and and draw us more into, into the space of Holy Week and into, I believe, what the Lord has on his heart for us in terms of staying here and remaining with me. What does this look like to companion with him? I think uh, everybody uh, almost certainly has companion with somebody who has suffered. Uh, if, if that's a friend, family member, or maybe, or, or maybe someone's companion with you, uh, you can use that to animate what it means to companion with somebody in their suffering. Okay? You can use that kind of as a, as a starting point. And one of the things you'll, you'll quickly understand, or if we, if we do that exercise or think about this way, is we understand that when we enter into companioning with people when they're suffering, we enter into something that we can't just fix. By the way, that's not necessarily the point. We're just called to be with them so they don't have to go it alone. Listen to how uh, Christian author and counselor Henry uh, Nowen uh, puts it. He said, when I reflect on my own life, I realize that the moments of greatest comfort and consolation were moments when someone said, I cannot take your pain away. I cannot offer you a solution to your problem, but I can promise you that I won't leave you alone and will hold on to you as long and as well as I can. There is much grief and pain in our lives, but what a blessing it is when we do not have to live our grief and pain alone. That is the gift of compassion. And the mind-boggling thought here is that Jesus invites us into that space with him. So what does this look like? What does this, what does this mean? Well, I think one very low-hanging fruit practical implication is we could take this to the Lord in prayer. I think prayer is just a perfect place to start, right? It's praying things like, Lord, I don't even know how to do this, but I desire to enter into this space with you, uh, to think about and put myself in that garden with you when you were there, taking this whole world onto your shoulders, all the sin and, and righteous wrath that we deserve, that I deserve. And in that one moment of, of need, your desire was that your followers would be with you. I don't know what that means exactly for me, but I want to enter into that space. I want to feel what you felt. And, and actually, to this day, when you look at suffering and you have a heart and grieving for that, I want to enter into that space. Would you show me a little bit more of your heart, and would you, would you use that to show me how you want me to have a similar heart for those ar- around me? I think it starts with prayer. Uh, Jesus at one point said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. That's a son of God speaking. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. 
Jesus want, invites us into friendship with him, being with him for him and what he's doing. And as we do that, it draws us to love him more and draws us to love like him more. Here's what I'd suggest. What I'd suggest, and if you do this, no, there's not going to be homework or checkup on this and that sort of thing, but here's what I'd suggest to you. On this Holy Week, uh, maybe take one of the gospel accounts. So here we are in the book of Mark. What you could do this week is go through the Passion of Christ as recorded, the Holy Week of Christ recorded in the book of Mark. It's chapters 14 through 16. And you could just read a couple of chap- uh, what am I saying? paragraphs or sections uh, on each day. And uh, you, know, you could even time it so that you're reading about the crucifixion account on Friday, Good Friday, and you could read about the resurrection on, on Sunday. That, that's a, that would be a good thing. But as you read, Here's what I'd encourage you to notice, a couple of things. One, notice how Jesus experienced his suffering. Have you ever read the scriptures that way? I'll be real. It's easy and quick for me to look, okay, what do I learn about what God wants me to do here? I'm suffering. What does this mean for my suffering? That's good. God wants us to take that. But wait a minute. As you read, notice how Jesus experienced his suffering. Maybe start with his external suffering and then move towards his uh, internal suffering, and also notice his desires in the midst of that suffering, and by the way, how some of those desires go unmet. And then notice how in his suffering, he stays and remains fully human. By the way, not turning to coping mechanisms that we often do when our suffering is nowhere near to the intensity that he's facing. And then finally, and this is last but not least, notice what you feel as you reflect on these things and, and for his suffering for the world. And what I would say is just take all that to the Lord in prayer. Feelings, thoughts. If this is a completely new concept to you, that's great. Try it out. See what happens. Enter into prayer, noticing and looking to the Lord for him, who he is and what he's accomplished. Uh, one last thought before we do communion today, and I feel like this message just leads straight into communion, right? One last thought is, even when we are companioning with Jesus, this text shows us very clearly we need his help, (laughs) right? Because the disciples were there, and it's like in their one hour of need, like Jesus had spent three years with these guys, an intimate relationship with them, meeting need after need after need of theirs. Big and small, Jesus was there meeting their needs. But here in his greatest time of need, what do they do but fall asleep? And it's kind of comical until we realize very quickly, oh my goodness, that's you and me. Right? I mean, it's a representation of us. We are actually literally and figuratively falling asleep on God all the time. So let's say you go about doing the things that we just talked about today, which I hope and pray you do. Uh, this week you're reading the scriptures and you literally fall asleep. <laughs> that, could, that could happen. Or figuratively fall asleep. Or just branch it out in terms of our relationship, your relationship with him. You fall asleep. Know that Jesus still gives you grace and help. To put this into context, how are you at interacting with other people when you are at your lowest, most stressed out, most anguished time? I'll let you know, when I'm feeling just a little bit, I am a lot less patient. I'm a lot less gentle, all that sort of... Jesus literally had the world on his shoulders and heart, and how did he respond to these dudes who couldn't stay asleep, uh, couldn't stay awake? All right. <laughs> Grace and truth is how he responded to them. Grace and truth. Loved them, was gracious to them. And by extension, he's saying, hey, I'm going to be gracious. He's God, we're not. But he invites us into companioning with him. Will you do that this week?
Can you? As, you, as it will, hopefully, with his spirit at work in your heart, uh, draw you to love him more and draw you to love like him more. Let's pray. Father, who are we that you would invite us to remain with you? That you would call us into participation in your suffering. And part of that suffering was to suffer on our behalf as you took on the weight of our sin that pegged you to the tree. The, the, the wrath that uh, we deserved, you were crushed by. You were pierced for. Our King and our Savior. Lord, thank you so much for entering this world and for loving us even when we fall asleep, which frankly we regularly do. You're so loving. You are so kind. As we were prayed earlier today, and Katie was mentioning, we can run into your arms. You just hold wide open. But Father, we want to sit in and companion with you in how you see the world, how your heart loves, cares. Would you please help us in that this week? And Father, would you have this be the table set, as it were, as we enter into communion together? Because communion, of course, is not just uh, something we do, but it's something we do in remembrance of, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed. And today we, we remember how in the garden, right after you gave us communion, you faced all of that and said, yet not my will, your will. And together with the Father and the Spirit, you saved the world, you saved us. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.